production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, public health reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. And get ready to go to your phones or your computer because today is our spring gardening show. Our guests are Helen May from May's Greenhouse. She's retired, and Don Adamson's also retired from Bloomington Valley Nursery, but both of them still spend a lot of time uh, on their gardening um, for themselves and helping other people with their gardens. So you can give us a call, and they'll answer your questions. Give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348, and you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. And, and if you are a fan of the show, you know that the Spring Gardening Show and the Fall Gardening Show are two of our most busy shows. Sarah and I are, will be here trying to direct traffic, answer a few, <laughs> ask a few questions if things get uh, quiet. But uh, we're going to go right to the phones because we have somebody who's been waiting for a couple of minutes to, to talk to us. So, Lynn, go ahead with your question. Yes, yeah, so I planted some surprise lily bulbs uh, about two seasons ago, and I find that um, in my, at my current uh, home location, they, they leaf out quite nicely in the early spring, like right now, and then I, I wait, and in the late summer, I get no stalks and no blooms. Um. It may be that they've just too recently transplanted. Uh, you might try fertilizing right now while the foliage is active. Uh, that might help a little bit. And normally they should come up about the first week of August or begin then, especially if you get a good rain about that time. Um, it may be that you just need to let them have another season. They might bloom this summer. I see. So sometimes I planted them... Well, I just I bought the bulbs actually at Mays, mm-hmm. and uh, just stuck them in the ground. And uh, uh, I didn't know whether they needed a few seasons to mature and get um, get accustomed to their environment. So I'll, I'll fertilize them some more and see what happens this year. Yeah, sometimes they just need to to rebuild their energy a little after they uh, are have been reset, you know. So uh, you might have flowers this year. All right, thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, Lynn, thanks for the call. We have another call from Sarah from Bloomington. Go ahead, Sarah. Excuse me, I made a mistake of moving. I had to sit down. Okay. Uh, several years ago, my well, quite quite some years ago, my mother-in-law taught me that you could take uh, geraniums and and just shake the, the dirt off them after it was time to dig them up and hang them upside down in the in the basement, which worked fine, and replant them in the spring. And I did that for years and didn't do it for the past few years. I have forgot the process of getting them ready to replant. Uh, I have some that I hung up in the basement and some that were in pots dried. I don't know if they're usable or not. Well, now you've, you've it's been a long time since I've even considered this. Um, the reason it has worked in the past is usually the basement is cool and fairly humid. Uh, this was especially true a long time ago when uh-huh. a lot of basement floors were dirt. Uh, and the geraniums would just sort of went dormant, and you put them, I believe what you want to do is put them in water for a few hours before you repot, just uh, so okay. they'll soak up some moisture. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, you know, don't leave them there a long, long, long time. Four or five hours is probably plenty. And then, um, or overnight maybe, 
and then uh, pot them up. And if they're very long and gangly, uh, you may want to cut some of the weakest or poorest looking. <coughs> say if you've well, got. Well, they all dry right up and yeah. you know look like nothing. But well, then yeah. just just pot them up and let them sit in the basement for a while. Okay. And when they begin to show signs of life, then you may want to prune back a little bit of just the poorest part. Uh-huh. And if they're extremely long, before you go outside with them, you want to cut back uh, again a little bit. Um, don't fertilize immediately. Let them make some, some top growth first. And you want to moist but not waterlogged once you pot them up uh-huh. so that they get air as well as moisture on the roots. Thank you very much. All right, Sarah, thanks for your call. Uh, 812-855-0811, You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. It's our spring gardening show, so if you have questions, Helen May and Don Adamson are here to answer them. So what should we be doing now to get our gardens ready and our yards ready for the spring? Well, as far as the you say gardens, you mean the, the flowering side of it. That's what I'm more for, familiar with. Yeah. But uh, spring is almost sprung, really. I mean, yeah. the magnolias are out blooming. I hope the frost doesn't get them. But actually, this now is an excellent time to plant any shrubs or trees. The, the sooner you can get them in the ground, the better off you are. Also, with your grass, uh, if you need to do any grass seeding, that should be done as soon as possible. Those are two of the first things that you need to do in, in the spring. Like I say, planting of trees and shrubs and also seeding the, any, uh, <coughs> excuse me, any of the lawn if, if your lawn needs that. <coughs> Is this the time to be dividing perennials too? It's possible to do that. Now, a lot of people prefer to do that in the autumn, but it can be done in the early spring uh, just to take them up and uh, get them sorted into the sizes you want and, and throw away the old weak stuff, you know, that is over age and, uh, and get them replanted and moist. Uh, you don't want to keep them soggy, but you don't want them to dry out. So watch the moisture carefully for a while. Generally, there's enough rain in the spring that you don't have to water too much. Um, there are things like chrysanthemums. You want the young growth from the outer edges. Iris, you want the young growth from the outer edges of the clumps, the strong young shoots. Um, Things like peonies, you should never dig except in the autumn, the early autumn, September, say, or late August, and reset those at that time. Um, you probably could get you a uh, good uh, book on transplanting perennials at the library. Uh, but most of them, if they haven't made excessive growth, can be lifted and moved. Now, there are a few things you should never move unless you just absolutely have to, uh, mostly very deep-rooted things. Um, but uh, I have moved to stilbies at this time of year and iris and uh, chrysanthemums. This is a good time to divide chrysanthemums, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, main thing is just to coddle them a little after you get them divided. Don't drown them and don't let them get too dry. Uh, a little light mulch around, uh, but don't cover the young shoots with mulch. Mm-hmm. What about black-eyed Susans? Those tend to just produce and produce and produce. <laughs> well, the way they the way they do produce, uh, uh, heck, might as well reset a few. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you'll probably have some extra somewhere anywhere. That if you if those don't work, why you'll still have some. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, most of them. The main thing is that they shouldn't be great tall new growths. It should be just starting. You know, if you're going to divide in the spring. So, Don, I have a I have a tree question. I know you're you're an arborist, so okay. uh, um, we we got a little Japanese elm, one of the pretty little trees to a dwarf. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and we planted it in our front yard about three years ago, I think, and. Uh, 
it looked great for a year, and then the second year, it it's looked like the the bottom growth of leaves was good, but the top wasn't all filled in. And then last year, it looked even worse. Have we lost that tree? It sounds like it's very possible because uh, so many of the dwarf trees like that are on rootstock of other varieties, and sometimes that that one that you want didn't make it, but they come up from the base from one of the wild shoots or from the root. Okay. And uh, so if it's not, look at the leaves and see if they're the same type because uh, sometimes the, you get some kind of wild thing com- coming up from the roots completely different than what you uh, had figured on. Really? Well, well yeah. So, it, you know, it looked good for a year, and then it just hasn't been doing so well. So, But are you seeing, like, two different types of foliage, or is— are the ones coming up making a bush rather than a tree? Come to think of it, I think we are. I think there are a couple of different types of, of leaves coming out. So I'll, I'll check that out when I go home tonight. Yeah, it's very possible that it didn't come back from last winter. Right. Last winter was hard on a lot of plants. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you have questions about uh, gardening today, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or one 285 You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I want to remind you, usually in the second half of the show is when we get really busy, so if you have a question, you could uh, do like Sarah and uh, the, the, uh, our first caller did and get in, get in here early. I have a question about flowering almonds. I've had one that it's gotten to the point even last year, it really didn't have hardly any leaves and it just had flowers. Every year it's looked progressively a little worse. So this year I'm thinking maybe just get rid of it. But what is something that would kind of look well, like? Well, they should, they should be coming out real soon now because they're one of the first to flower. But the plant kind of looks ugly anyway after they're done flowering <laughs> because they're beautiful when they flower. And then after that, they always look kind of spindly. But uh, you could, if you haven't fertilized it recently, do fertilize it, but don't use a lot of nitrogen uh, fertilizer because that'll make it grow, but not make it flower. And uh, the phosphorus fertilizer, the second number in fertilizer, is what helps to make plants flower. So that's just a general thing to kind of keep in mind. The ones that you want to grow more, why feed them with a high first number. With a high first number. So something. What what's something similar that would grow in those same sort of conditions and still be a nice little flowering bush if... If I can't save it, it looks even worse. <laughs> well, how tall do you uh, do you want it to get? Below my front windows. So, so you you want them to stay short. I noticed one, uh, the new one that they had at the nursery this year, a great little dwarf forsythia, that's only about a foot tall, and that would give you early flowers similar to the flowering almond if it doesn't come back. But they are gorgeous right now. And uh, it's a new one that I'm not familiar with at all. It's it's very dwarf, and like I say, it's only like a foot tall and absolutely loaded with flowers. Have you seen those before, Helen? Uh, Yes, they are pretty. They're very different from what you you think of. Scythia is a big, uh, billowing, uh, gorgeous pile of yellow, you know, Mm -hmm. and and they're much smaller. Uh, There's a little plant uh, called uh, nine bark, Mm -hmm. tiny wine which is uh, three to four feet tall. There's lots of and, uh, nice nine bark. Yeah, and uh, you might try something like that. And uh, also some of the, uh, uh, there's some very small wygelias, how mm-hmm. you pronounce that, right. isn't it? Uh, shrubs, uh, some with purple leaves, some with green leaves uh, those, that stay very low. And those will flower later, so you might have a variety. The forsythia, of course, only flowers early, but the ones that she mentioned, the wigilia and ninebark, flower later in the season, and but are great short plants. All right, we have a phone call from Brown County, and Susan is calling. Susan? Hi, thank you very much. It's a beautiful day for a gardening show. <laughs> yes. um, I'm calling actually for my daughter. She lives in California, and they just planted a garden, put plants in because they were planting a little bit late. 
and they're having problems with something eating the leaves. She said she's seen a lot of snails and a few slugs, and I wondered if you have some ideas about how they can get rid of these. Well, there are different slug and snail baits that you can use and uh, that work quite well on the, on the shrubs. Buy? Yes, and, okay. and just uh, the baits actually, you can just sit them around and they'll, they will attract the slugs and snails. And there are baits that are perfectly safe as far as cats and birds and uh, children are concerned. Uh, so, so check the labeling on them. Uh, but you can just, they're like, kind of like rabbit pellets and you can just scatter them in your garden. Get what? What did you say? I say they're, it's, it's, uh, they just look like it. They mm. look like rabbit pellets, about that size and shape. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, just tell them you need slug bait, and, and the, your garden person can direct you to what you need, probably. So none of the home remedies? I've read something online about beer and things like that. Those aren't really so good. Oh, yeah. beer and... and uh, uh, Salt, right? Rinds of uh, uh, grapefruits. Um, they're pretty time-consuming and uh, not real, not real effective usually. <laughs> the baits okay, are the baits have, are easier. <laughs> okay, because they do have lemons and oranges and grapefruits growing in their yard. Well, they could uh, when they when they have eaten one or used one, uh, cut it in half, squeeze the now grapefruits. What I heard, so I don't. I've not tried this. I don't know, but you you. Turn the empty shell, you know, up, that's been squeezed or partially mm -hmm. eaten, upside down in your garden. And, and in the mornings, you check under, and then you have to dispose of the slugs that are in there, mm -hmm. which you can drop them in soapy water or a strongly salted water, or you can step on them or feed them to your chickens. Or <laughs> so you, um, you just put the grapefruit... You oh, just press it down on the soil in your okay. garden, and they will creep up. They like to hide from the daylight, so they will creep under there towards morning. And uh, each morning you go out and check, and you dispose of any that you have trapped. Okay. Do you think it might work with lemons, too, or oranges, or do you know? I don't know. All okay. I have read was grapefruit. but okay, it, well, it, that's good. Yeah, it might work with the others. It certainly wouldn't hurt to try. Another good... Another good thing to do with orange peels is if you have neighborhood cats in getting into your flower beds, digging and making nasties, uh, they hate orange peel. So you can throw some orange peels around in that area and get them to leave you alone. Well, that's exactly what they have. They have neighbor's cats coming <laughs> the garden, so this is perfect. <laughs> it's well, like you already know my daughter and her <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, Susan. Thanks a lot for the call. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, Helen, you kind of worried me when you said, uh, you know, feed them to your chickens. I thought you were going to say to children. Uh, <laughs> no, kind of, no. Uh, that's not so wise. Too, okay. Right. No. <laughs> I think not. All right. Our phone number is again 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. What, what can you all say about the best way to keep rabbits out of a vegetable garden? What's worked for you? A two-foot-high fence, a chicken wire that is pinned to the ground all around. <laughs> what if your neighborhood association says you can't do that? <laughs> Speaking yeah. from experience. <laughs> they won't let you get put an ornamental fence around? Technically, I'm not allowed to have the garden. Oh, I <laughs> so oh. I try to keep it look, looking pretty. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm not sure what to advise you. Several different repellents, but like she said, they really don't work that well. But uh, um, that's about all you can do if you, if you can't build a fence. Just going out screaming at them isn't that effective. You might try putting some some red hot powdered pepper on some things. Don't put it on when the foliage is wet or it may burn the plants. Not that it would kill them, but it would make them not pretty to eat. <laughs> you know? Okay. All right, Sarah. So uh, try to keep you out of trouble with your neighborhood association. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Okay. So if you uh, want to give us a call, we, we're starting to get some calls in. So if you want to call, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, Don, you talked about, um, you know, seeding for grass. You know, we had a situation where we had to do a French drain around our house, so it really messed up our yard. We wound up putting sod in. Mm-hmm. First year, sod looked great. Second year, starting to get some weeds in the sod. Is there something, what would you suggest we use to try well, if if you have any weeds, you need to take care of those first. Mm-hmm. Uh, broad-leafed weeds, you need to kill them before you do any seeding because the spray for those would damage new seed as it comes up. Okay. So do the weed spray first and then wait a, like a week or so after that to to do any seeding. But <clears throat> it's best to do as early in the spring as you can so that you can control crabgrass in that area later in the season okay great so still still got time yes okay good. yes <laughs> good to hear all right we're going to take our break now because we're starting to get piled up with some phone calls so uh, we're talking with helen may from uh, retired from may's greenhouse and don adamson retired from bloomington valley nursery except i'm sure they're going to call them back to work this spring uh, so <laughs> you can uh, call helen and don and ask them all your gardening questions you're listening to noon edition we'll be right back This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. It's our spring gardening show. I'm Bob Zaltzberg along with Sarah Whitmire, and we have Helen May, uh, retired from May's Greenhouse, and Don Adamson, retired from Bloomington Valley Nursery, answering all of your gardening questions today. So give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We're going to go right to the phones, and Beth from Bloomington. Beth? Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, a few years ago, we uh, moved from, um, like, the Elm Heights area over just north of Bloomington, and in the move, um, I brought along my beloved grandmother's beloved rhubarb, and so I've planted it, and it came up right away, um, and then it wilted and died. Um, but the roots were good, and I, um, it has come up every year. I've moved it to some of it to a different location that I had seasoned out for, um, for a year, and that, too, has come up, done the same thing. Um, I think it's wilted. I can't remember now whether it's just, I, I believe it's wilted and just all the beautiful leaves and stalks just died. Um, last year, I dug it up to see if there was something happening in the, in the root system. They look very healthy. Um, and with the leaves and the stalks, I didn't see any kind of um, infestation or reason to think that there might be some kind of bugs getting into it. But I'm wondering what I should do this year. You may have some kind of a fungus infestation uh, that causes it to rot off right at the ground. Mm. Uh, and I, if it were a, 
a perennial or something, I certainly would recommend some kind of a uh, fungicide applied. I don't know if you would want to do that with uh, something you're going to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, You might check with the uh, uh, county extension agent's office and see if they could uh, suggest something that would be safe for you to use. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what it sounds like. I'm I'm not sure what your problem is. Uh, Is it Rhubarb requires good drainage. Mm-hmm. You know the old saw about will the rain ruin the rhubarb? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, extended periods of wet soil will cause you problems with rhubarb. Uh, if you want to try to plant another piece of this somewhere else, I would recommend that you put a lot of sand in the top two or three inches of soil. Okay. Uh, just to see if improved drainage in that area might help. Okay. Uh, but I'd check with the county agent on that. I will. Thank you so much. It gives me um, a place to start. Okay, Beth. Okay. <laughs> Thank, thanks a lot, Beth. Thanks a lot for the call. Let's go now to Doreen from Bloomington. Doreen? Hi. Um, I had two questions. One, I had a winged begonia, and I put it in the basement, and it's doing fine in a pot. How early should I think about setting it outside? About Mother's Day, and you probably should uh, uh, harden it a little, like on a porch or something, during the days for a week okay. or so before you leave it out permanently, and protect okay, my it. My other question. Okay, sorry. I was just going to say, and protect it from strong winds until the leaves have a chance to toughen up and and thicken a little. Okay, my other question is, I want to plant an elephant ear. And I was hoping to get it started probably in the house and take it in and out. Is that a good idea? Oh, the yeah. other thing that I've heard is to soak the bulb a little bit in some kind of food solution for a little bit and then plant it in the ground. Well, Do you have any suggestions on that? Uh, the, the fertilizer soak will moisten the bulb up and, and give you a chance to uh, maybe get a little better start with it. Uh, I would uh, not put that in a terribly strong solution, a little weaker than the package recommends, and soak it for a few hours, overnight if you want to, but no more than that, and then just pot it up in good potting soil that, uh, in a pot that's big enough and deep enough to allow some good root development, and just keep it in the pot until, again, quite warm weather, at least Mother's Day, maybe a little further and then move it out. All right. Thank you very much. All right, Doreen. Thanks a lot. Uh, Our phone number is 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. And you can join the live chat, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. And we had a question come in, somebody wondering if you could talk about good deer-resistant bushes and trees. Well, that... There are several different ones that are, are, are considered deer resistant, and uh, even Arborvita, which has been one of the very favorites of deer, they have come out with newer varieties now that are resistant. Now, notice I said resistant. I didn't say <laughs> that they would not bother them, but uh, some of the newer Arborvita, as I mentioned, has always been an evergreen that the deer really love to eat on but uh, check for varieties of those that are resistant and uh, a lot of your deciduous type shrubs that uh, that lost leaves in the winter are are probably more uh, more resistant to the deer don't plant any japanese use <laughs> right <laughs> they devour mine every winter <laughs> uh, the um, uh, thorny things like barberries um, you might consider uh, but another thing you need to consider is check to see that this is the plants you choose are not invasive species because some of the uh, barberries, for instance, uh, um, uh, Euonymus, uh, Elatus, a uh, few things mm-hmm. like that, 
can spread into the wild and become a serious problem. Um, now, at, at Bloomington Valley Nursery, they have a list of deer-resistant uh, shrubs and trees and then, a, I think, a separate one for deer-resistant perennials. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, that's a general good guideline, but check with your neighbors first because I have three items that were on the resistance list that the deer devour every year. <laughs> uh, for one thing, yucca, which is a very coarse, ugly, strong, spiny plant, they always eat the top six or eight inches out of mine. <laughs> The deer don't always follow the rules, do they? If, if they get hungry, they're like we are. If they get hungry, they're going to eat, and whatever happens to be there. So uh, it varies with your your house and area as to whether those deer have something else to eat other than your plants. All right, and we have another question that came in. Uh, this one is, uh, what could cause daffodils to fail completely? Could it be dogs? Mm-hmm. Well, it would have to be a regular, regular usage by dogs and uh, um, urine mostly. uh, mm -hmm. But generally speaking, what causes them to fail is you cut the foliage off too early after they bloom. Mm. Um, You should probably wait till second half or later in June to cut those leaves off. Now... She said they they failed, but did they did they produce leaves or just no flowers? Yeah, we don't know. This is a question that came no. in. So. I said okay. failed yeah. completely, so That's that makes it sound like they, nothing yeah. came up. <laughs> well, they may be planted in an area that's too wet. Okay. Uh, they're pretty tough, but they will drown um, in the winter time. Plant uh, bugs. I'm sorry. Rodents won't eat them because they're poison. Uh, So I would suspect it's something to do with the planting location. However, there are some rather exotic uh, insects that attack daffodils. And I can't name them right now, but they generally what they do is they get into the bulbs. You might uh, check at the library and get your book on daffodils to try to find out what the symptoms are of yours might match. Our producer, Sophia, offered a little more uh, information. She said that the caller said that they failed after the third season and used the words completely obliterated. (laughs) So (laughs) it sounds like it might have been in the root system, right? Yes. Um, But why they would go to the third year or not, it might be some kind of a bulb fly or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would get to a good book on daffodil problems and see what matches the symptoms. It's a little difficult to tell. All right. Our, uh, let, me, let me give our phone numbers again. We, this looks like the phone's starting to ring. 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Do bulbs have a harder time in the kind of clay soil around here? Does that make it tougher on them? Yes. They, they'll rot off sometimes. Some types of bulbs will. And daffodil are usually more durable and the deer eat all kinds of bulbs other than the daffodil yeah i've got daffodil clubs uh, clumps that are 50 years old that are just fine uh but a really tight clay soil things like tulips will not winter they stay too wet in the winter so uh improved drainage for most of your bulbs would be a, a plus if you can do it that explains in my neighborhood, I notice everyone's tulips, they'd never come back. So, um. Well, uh, rodents eat them, and if they do come back, the deer eat them. And uh, if the drainage is poor, they die out. And except for the species, most of the fancy, big, gorgeous varieties are only good for two, three years mm-hmm. at the very most. All right, we're going back to the phones. We have Susan from Bloomington on the line. Susan? Hi, it's, I'm from Brown County, but oh. I had a couple of questions. One about forsythia bushes and one about iris. Um, the, my forsythia bushes are pretty old, but a few years ago there appeared on the branches some real hard, clumpy things about the size of a quarter, more spherical. Um, 
and I don't know what they are. And is that something happening to the bush? That, it uh, it sounds like a gall, but that usually will not hurt them a lot, really. Forsythia are very durable, and but I've seen the gall get on the stems sometimes, and uh, if if it's just a few of them, you can cut the, those stems where the growth is, and uh, usually eliminate it. But it, it's normally not a major problem. Cut it below where the gall is. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's they they've, there's a lot, and I didn't do anything to them, and I really didn't know what it was, so I was trying to figure that out now, but I have an expert. <laughs> There's really not a spray to eliminate the gall, but... Uh, what is the gall? What is it? It's, it's just a growth that gets started, and sometimes it will restrict, restrict the stem and even kill the stem, but usually that, I haven't found that to be true on Forsythia. Right. Okay. Do, so do they have uh, foliage on or, and or flowers at this time? Oh, yeah. They're beautiful. And, but they're just, those things are kind of ugly on the branches. I, my guess is they won't hurt the plant. Okay. So if I want, I could cut them off below the gall and, um, right. or I can leave them either way. But it, the time to do that would be after they're done flowering, and often you want to trim your forsythia at that time anyway. So I never trim them, and maybe I should. I love the long willowy. I'm in the forest, and I like things kind of natural. But Is it best to trim them every year? Not necessarily. Okay. No, if because sometimes, uh, like I say, the timing of trimming, you you want to trim them right after they're done flowering, so that uh, they can come out with those shoots, and so that they will flower again next year. So, like but it's not essential to trim them. Okay. Then about the iris, I I'm not good about uh, dividing things the way I should. And I noticed when they came up this year, I know that part of the rhizome or whatever it's called is supposed to be on top of the dirt. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that if they're totally buried, they won't bloom. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I do have a lot of iris that don't bloom. Is it too late once they've already sprouted leaves and they're up about six inches like they are now at my house? Can I dig them up or at least try and get the dirt off of the top of the... Um, whatever is supposed to be exposed, or is it too late? Well, what iris normally do is they grow in one direction so that the oldest portion of the roots will be towards the center of the clump. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that old material simply declines in vigor and will not bloom. Uh, that's the reason for dividing every three, four years. Um, I think you could reset some of them now if you wanted to. Uh, it may have some effect on the bloom, but if, if you get it done well and early, it uh, probably won't be too bad. But some of that old material towards the middle, the, the ancient parts, should just be dug up and discarded and okay. reset the edge places that are young and vigorous. So if I dig them up now, uh, to, to when you say reset them, do you mean dig them up and put them on top of the dirt more the way they're supposed to be? Yeah, the younger growth should be mostly exposed, but uh, if it isn't, why uh, set it a little higher? Okay, and will that make it so they won't bloom this year? Would it be better to wait and see if they bloom? I I love flowers, and I hate to... Well, you certainly could wait. Uh, August is a good time to reset. uh, And do get rid of the old worn out stocks and just reset some of the young material and give it room to grow for a few years. Is this something that should be done every year or every few years? I find I'm kind of a lazy resetter (laughs) (laughs) that about every three to four years is ideal. Okay. Yeah. And and again, you're supposed to leave part of the, is it called the rhizome? It is a rhizome and it is, uh, for the bearded or German iris, it is best if the top of it is exposed. Like um, just the top or like a half inch or? Well, just so that it gets sun over about three, a third to half of the surface, yeah. Okay, great. 
thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Susan, from mm-hmm. Brown County. Appreciate okay. it. All You're right. welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for having the show. Sure. <laughs> from outside of the local calling area. And you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Don, I wanted to ask you, you know, last last year I remember, I'm not sure if this is an every year thing, but last year it seemed like there were a lot of the tent caterpillars that were all over the trees. And, you know, is that – are we likely to see them again this year? Oh, yes. Yeah. They, they will be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, in most cases, they don't cause uh, – uh, will not kill a tree. You, they will eat some of the foliage. But you, you see the tent, but they come out from that tent – and eat on the leaves. And like I say, uh, honestly, we usually don't even recommend trying to spray for them uh, because uh, they don't really hurt the trees that much. Okay, that's usually late, late in the summer, right, or when it gets really hot? A little bit later, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, those late ones, when they leave the trees, are generally sort of looking for a place to pupate, so they don't do that much damage. Mm-hmm. But they can get on your siding of your house and... Right. Um, one way to semi-control them, if they're low enough in the trees that you can reach with a, say, like a cane pole or something, if you'll just go up during the day and wind that uh, tent they've made around the end of that pole and pull it down and stomp on it, <laughs> you will, <laughs> you will uh, alleviate a lot of your problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a natural way. <laughs> right. Because we had such a mild winter, are we going to be seeing a lot more insects and everything around? Well, they, they always indicate that a lot, of, uh, a lot of the pests are not killed in the winter, so uh, there, I'm sure there will be some around. <laughs> All right, we've had a call come in or a question come in. I'd like to know some low-maintenance indoor plant ideas. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, If you've got a nice, bright window, succulents and cactus, very low-maintenance. Define succulents for me. Well, they're plants that have fleshy, water-holding tissue that, uh, like uh, hen and chickens, if you're familiar with those, Mm -hmm. and there are hundreds of kinds. the greenhouse, I, when I was down there yesterday, it's just loaded with uh, beautiful succulents. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, uh, Sansevieria's uh, mother-in-law's tongue is mm-hmm. extremely easy. Jade plants are Jade. very easy. Uh, I would stay away from most ferns, uh, particularly the thin-leaved filmy ones. Um, but those three philodendrons, uh, ivies are easy, except you have to watch them in, in the house for spider mites because the dry air in the house, you know. But there are other vines that you could grow. Some there are philodendron vines of different kinds. Go down to the greenhouse and talk to Sheila or <laughs> one of the other women down there, and uh, they can advise you on some easy ones to make a good start with, you mm-hmm. know. What what about some good plants for a small patio garden? What's realistic? Obviously, you can't plant a whole bunch of corn, for example. <laughs> Are we, we're talking about vegetable garden here. Mm-hmm. Beans, they're very productive for the space they take up. And you can plant pole beans up on runners, I mean up on s- sticks, you know. Uh, tomatoes are worth messing with. Um lettuce early and then you can yank it out and plant some late beans where where it was growing um i i don't know some of the root crops are a little particular about soil uh, carrots and so forth and, and it would depend on your conditions but um, some of the small type cabbages are quick uh, and easy uh, you don't want to get one that's going to go spread four feet wide, you know. <laughs> but there are small varieties. Broccoli you might have some success with. Uh, basically, what you want is something that will produce enough to matter in a small space. Some of the bush squashes uh, are quite good for mm-hmm. container growing. 
and make sure that soil is loose in there because all those vegetables do like a loose uh, loose type soil and they'll tend to rot if you if it's too tight okay we're running out of time if you want to give us a call we have a couple more questions that have come in but if you want to give us a call we've got seven or eight minutes to go 812-855-0811 in bloomington 1-877-285-9348 outside of the bloomington area you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and you can follow us on twitter at noon edition we don't have anybody on the line right now so you can still get your calls in there's a question about is it called four line plant bugs how to get rid of them they're attacking salvia and Rus- russian sage oh they're horrible <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound good uh-huh. <laughs> Probably your best bet is some kind of an insecticide. Now, I'm not sure. Uh, they keep bringing new uh, organic insect controls online. So you probably need to talk to someone at a, someone who knows at a garden center somewhere um, about what might be a good thing to use. Of course, used to, we just... Uh, put some rotenone or something on but you're going to have to use something because there's no way to control them uh, culturally that I'm aware of except do clean up anything that is damaged by them this, the, at the end of the growing season before uh, and, and get rid of it so there's no eggs carried over if you can help it Okay. What, what are they? I've never heard of these Well they're quite small and they just make ugly messes of your plants they're just uh, <laughs> they're quite horrible yeah they're quite horrible <laughs> we have uh, just a few more minutes um i have uh, several other questions we have several other questions that we can ask um so hostas you know we have a, we have a lot of shade we planted a whole bunch of hostas last year are there any new varieties of hostas any always new? always <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, They have developed a few now. Uh, They're trying to breed for a color break. You know, a lot of plants have red-leaved forms, and uh, there are a few varieties. They've they've got red flower stems or red leaf stems now. They haven't got the true break yet, but uh, some of those might be interesting. There are also some very miniature forms, and there are always new varieties of the big ones. In fact, if you get a specialist catalog, you could literally choose from hundreds of varieties. Mm-hmm. Some uh, variegated, some plain color, some bright yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a wide, wide choice. Uh, now, I was down at Bloomington Valley, not Bloomington Valley, Mays <laughs> Greenhouse, <laughs> and just the other day, and they've got them all potted up and, and out there, but they're not up yet, so you can't really see the foliage. They have some pictures. But you might check in there just a little later and uh, see what's available because mm-hmm. uh, there's a great variation in size and in width of spread and in the type of flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. yeah, there are new varieties every year. Every year, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you divide those right now or is, this, or is that one you, better? That's you could divide them now. They're just beginning to break dormancy, and it'd probably be perfectly all right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask, and this is a little bit away from, from gardening, but it's about the relationship between Bloomington Valley Nursery and Mays. You're right down the road, but you're bo- you both mm-hmm. turned 60 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Last Was it last 50. year or this year? 50? Last year. 50? Mm-hmm. Last, yeah, last year? 50 years. Mm-hmm. Last, okay. last year. So, yeah. I mean, do you sort of work together in some ways, right? Well, yeah. we refer people back and forth. Now, yeah. used to, we never carried anything in the way of trees or shrubbery. Mm-hmm. It was strictly greenhouse. So we'd send them up to Don's. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure that there were occasions when he didn't have something, he'd send them down to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, starting off, we, we didn't have the flowers. We didn't have the annual or perennial flowers. So <laughs> we started the same year and have always worked together and sending people back and forth because mm-hmm. we're close close enough together mm-hmm. yeah so 50 years in the business so so how, how's it changed i know it's changed a lot a lot yeah well since since i've sold it they have moved into a lot of new areas and are carrying a much wider variety of plants and especially specimen plants i know this year i went down there and they're carrying lots of varieties of japanese maples that's one of their specialties and most all of the the trees are coming out of Oregon 
and they get such a, they have such a wide variety of different trees available and even in the large sizes i know they said this year they're going to carry more large sizes because that seemed uh, seemed to be real popular so uh, i know they got a lot of specimen japanese maples of all different kinds mm -hmm. that uh, you need to take a look at because yeah. that's it's always been one of the uh, but they they're carrying a wider variety of plants than than i used to when i was there mm -hmm. and the greenhouse is the same we we grow a, a lot of different things that we didn't we've always purchased our geranium plants from another grower because we've never had enough greenhouse space to grow that many geraniums um, and we also do that with uh, i think it's uh, uh, riger begonias Rieger, I'm never sure how to pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> but um, the uh, our main change is that we have gone into some shrubbery mm -hmm. now uh, and a few trees, nothing on the scale that Don is, but we have some. What's wonderful is that when I started back in the end of the 50s at another place that doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> they had like maybe six or eight kinds of evergreens for landscaping and that was it <laughs> and now you can get all kinds of wonderful variations mm -hmm. uh, including sometimes miniatures and right. uh, mm -hmm. uh, lots of kinds of uh, azaleas and shrubbery and uh, a lot of uh, native plants now uh, maize i noticed down there we had a, a nice selection of native uh, wildflowers mm -hmm. And uh, which were, of course, nursery grown. And um, also, they have some beautiful pink flowered, ever bearing strawberries, which are wow. beautiful. <laughs> All right. We're, we're going to have to cut this off. We, we've had a, our, our spring show with Helen May and Don Adamson. It's always a pleasure to have you guys here. Thank you, thank you very much for coming, and we'll see you again this fall. Thank For uh, Sarah Whitmire, producer Sophia Salaby, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.